Thank you, guys. Let's do that a little longer, please. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's fun. Uh, will you start the clock for me, the counter, uh, or I will talk for three hours. Nobody needs that. Nobody cares for that. Are you guys doing good tonight? Are we here for uh, religious reasons, or are we here because we are expectant for God to do an awesome work in this place? Just need to know what I'm dealing with. I am going to tuck my hair behind my ears. I wanted to come out in a little bit of creeper mode to just let you guys know that I still have hair, and I'm obviously happy about that. And so we are letting her breathe tonight. I apologize if you're scared of me. If you're visiting, I do not kidnap children. I promise. I just look like I do, okay? So... Hey, I, just a couple quick disclaimers, and then I'll pray, and we'll get into it. Um, uh, first thing is this, super important. There is a guy on staff who I absolutely love to death, and when you see uh, about 80% of just the incredible videos, whether it's baptism, whether it's um, just the awesome retreat and post-retreat videos, uh, it's done by one of our staff members and one of uh, uh, faithful members of young adults, and he's here tonight, and it is his 22nd birthday, and he is just awesome. Can you just clap for Josiah real quick? Where are you at, Josiah? Where are you at? I can't see you. Stand up. Stand up. Everybody clap for him again. It's his birthday. Love you, buddy. I'm honored that we get to work together. So talented and young and thin, and I hate him more I'm talking about it. Sit down. All right. Next thing is this. How many of you uh, were at the uh, Jesus Culture concert a couple of, what was it, three or four weeks ago? How many of you keep your hands up? Okay, I have to disclaim and apologize for just a second. Um, I am going to do, uh, with a little bit of different angles and stuff, I'm going to do the message that I spoke at Jesus Culture. And I normally, on principle, don't do repeats like that with people in the room that have heard it before. And I just want to give you some heart so that you don't check out and go, oh, we would have skipped this week had we known that. Uh, the reason is, is because this isn't just a message I did for one-time occasion. This is a message that God has been deeply imprinting on my heart for almost two straight years now. And it's not one of those messages that I'm just going to preach and then, you know, go on to the next thing. Uh, woven into the fabric of all my teachings until God says, move on to the next thought and idea is what we're talking about tonight. And it's one of those deals. It's like it's the gospel. You can't talk about it enough. There's endless dimensions. You know, when the sun hits a, a diamond in a different way, it looks different. There's endless dimensions to the gospel. And so this is just another dimension of the gospel that I can't get away from in my own personal time with the Lord as a pastor. And this is what God does when there's a pastor and he has a mic or a platform or people who are listening to him. God, if he's talking with God, starts to speak to pastors so that we can just be nothing more than uh, middlemen. That's what I say all the time. I'm just a middleman up here reading God's word and hoping hopefully giving some commentary that is uh, helpful and full of transformation. And so uh, if you were at that, um, stick with me, and I appreciate it. And I, uh, I forgot the one thing. Jess, will you do me a favor? Unbelievable. In my backpack back there, the one prop I brought to bring tonight, uh, it's my deodorant. Will you bring that out? <laughs> yeah, going to be interesting. We better pray based on that. You guys ready to pray? Yeah, okay, so here's the deal when we pray, and, and I don't get many times with you guys each year, and so when I do, I'm just like so fired up, and so I want to make sure that you guys understand uh, what we're doing here. Again, I'm just a middleman. You guys don't need awesome commentary from Chad. What we need is the power of the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth, counseling us. We need the Holy Spirit comfort. Some of you, the most thing you need from God right now is comfort, and I have good news. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, so that's going to happen if you need it. Some of us, the biggest thing 
thing you need tonight is you just need a good dose of conviction. Not condemnation, not something that makes you want to run from God, but something that makes you want to bow a humble knee to God and say, God, take my heart yet again, right? Some of you, and this is the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given us in the gift in Christ, right? And this is, this is what uh, God's going to do tonight. But the Holy Spirit is to be honored when we get together. The Holy Spirit is one part of who God is and he deserves honor and so when we pray I just want this to be a place where Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit the three in one they're honored so can we just do that for a minute or so and then we'll get into it Heavenly Father I just come before you and I just say as one of your kids who you saved and who you redeemed and who you paid the ransom for God every one of us in this room that knows you you bought back with blood no one's done anything even remotely close for me in my lifetime like that. Not even my parents who have been so awesome and love me so much ransom me with blood. And so God, I'm just so thankful for your son, Jesus. God, I can't imagine what you went through when you sent him out of perfection and into this mess to identify and sympathize and buy back your people, God. It's no small deal. But when we go to church often, it's easy to make it a small deal. And it's not because we're bad, God, you know that, but it's because it's easy to make holy things common. And God, we don't want profanity. That's the definition of profanity. We don't want to profane you by making holy things common. And so, God, I'm asking for an uncommon experience tonight. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we love you and we thank you for the gift that you are. You used to hover, and because of the cross, you now abide. And I'm so grateful, Holy Spirit, for your work. I'm so grateful for how you've changed my life. I'm so grateful for the gentleness and the kindness and the comfort that you're bringing into my heart that was once none of those things. And I think most of us in this room could say that. And so we just honor you and we say in these next few minutes, would you just come and would you speak and would you be in this place powerfully? God, help me to teach in a way that's worthy of what you did through your son. And we pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. I feel so much better when we just uh, relax and pray for a while. It just gives me a boldness and a confidence. Um, a couple years ago, I found myself in a really odd and vulnerable place in life. And it was a, a place in life that I had assumed for many years that I was immune to, very naively assumed I was immune to it. Uh, because I'm a pastor and because I'm a son of the king and because I've spent the last 15, 16, 17 years reciting over and over and over who I am in Jesus Christ. And uh, a couple years ago, I was 39 and a half years old and I entered into what they clinically call a midlife crisis, hence the kidnapper hair <laughs> and trying to dress like I'm 20. And I should be wearing khakis and playing golf, right? And instead, I dress like this and I go to MMA classes. And it's not because I should be or because I deserve to be. It's because I'm hanging on to something that I'm really scared to lose. And trust me, behind the scenes, I'm losing it so bad. Ask my wife. She will tell you. Very little youth left in me. I promise you that. promise you. So... I, uh, I, was, I was getting up for work one morning. Again, this was almost two years ago. I was 39 and a half. And, and I, I got... In, what? <laughs> what? Anyways, I get up, go to the shower like I do every day, most days, to go to work, and I get in the shower, I get out, and I make a big mistake that at my age and with my metabolic 
place in life, you just, you just don't do this. I went to brush my teeth without first putting my shirt on. And so as I was brushing my teeth, I, I, I just started brushing, and there was just this kind of little bit of, you know, my gut and up in this region. It was just a little bit of shaky that I didn't have in my 20s. So I hate all of you in here for being in your 20s, and yet I love you. And it started happening, and I started feeling this sense. And I, again, I'm supposed to be the pastor that's so secure in Christ that none of that stuff matters. But as I was sitting there watching the, the shake and bake happen, it, it still mattered, okay? It just did. It is what it is, all right? I'm just having honesty with you. And so uh, that happens, and so I start getting flooded with mind games and self-esteem issues and all of this stuff. And I had asked my wife earlier that week, as we do often, she goes to Target, and she says, is there anything you need? And so I'd asked her for a few things. One of them was deodorant. And for whatever reason, she had chosen to buy me a new deodorant. And I'm a creature of habit. And so when there's something new, I recognize it. And so I got into the drawer and I was getting ready to put the deodorant on. And I saw that it's a new one. So I looked at it and it says, Old Spice. That's good for a 40, 39 and a half year old man. But then it said Swagger. And I was like, uh-uh. No, I'm, I'm analytical. I wish I wasn't because I'm not lying to you guys. I promise when I tell you this, this is what triggered me into a midlife crisis. <laughs> I wasn't even, I was feeling healthy. I was feeling good. I was fine. And then my analytical mind stood there for a moment and I looked at it and I said, okay, I know what they're doing. I know what these marketers, these marketers know us better than we know ourselves. They spend their whole lives studying us. And I know what they were saying. Old Spice is about for a 40-year-old guy like Chad, right? The 20-year-olds are not going to do it, but he's still in that odd phase where he wants to be young still. It's called a midlife crisis. So let's throw swagger on there, and he'll think it's like Axe Body Spray or something, right? But he's still not selling out because it's Old Spice, and we'll sell more to that guy if we say, hey, we know you're 40, but we're going to treat you like you're 25. So Old Spice swagger. All of this in about two seconds is going through my mind. Then my poor wife walks in, unfortunately, and I go, Rachel, get over here right now. I go, see this? She goes, yeah, I just bought it for you. I go, this is a metaphor for my life right now. And I was like, <laughs> it was an epiphany. I was like, this is exactly where I'm at in life right now. She goes, what are you talking about? I go, Old Spice and Swagger. Like, I'm, 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 I'm in between two places in life right now, and I'm confused, and I don't know what to do. Do I keep crossfitting and insanitying and trying to get abs or do I just give up and and be as big as I am in my mind and just keep eating and do what I love to do and take up golf and wear khakis or what do I do Rachel old spice or swagger just tell me I'm happy either way let me know <laughs> literally and she's just sitting there going I'm gonna go down and get breakfast for the kids you do whatever you need to do and come down with Chad again okay right like that's what she's saying and I remember that, and then I look on the back, and it says, Swagger transforms unfresh men into legends of confidence. <laughs> That's what I'm reading right now. <laughs> Swagger transforms unfresh men into legends of confidence. And I'm like reading it going, no, steroids do, period. <laughs> period. That's my only hope. HGH is my only hope, not Old Spice. Come on. Now, here's what's crazy, and here, here's why I start <laughs> telling you about that, because I don't feel better now that I've told you all this, trust me. The reason I told you that was because almost at the exact same season in life, a couple years ago, I started to enter into a midlife crisis spiritually as well, and theologically. And, and let me give you a little background so you understand what I'm saying, so you know where I'm going tonight. Um, I grew up as a kid, as a pastor's kid, and a kid just neck deep in ministry. We went to church. We were a part of like a Pentecostal holiness movement. And there's so I, I want to be careful and not dishonor that movement because there were so many amazing people that genuinely, deeply love and honor Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. 
and I learned so many amazing things and met so many amazing people. But like every denomination, because denominations were never God's intent, right? And, and, and every denomination, because it's being led by humans, it's like government, is a bit flawed. And there were some flaws in, in the Pentecostal holiness movement that I grew up in in this, is that their approach to teaching holiness really centered around and fixated on the idea of behavior modification. And I have been notoriously awful at behavior modification. I know not all of you are like that, but some of you in the room can amen that because you go, that is exactly me as well. Like the minute that you tell me that I'm not supposed to do something, if you don't tell me 10 different reasons why with really good passion and heart, I'm going to instantly go figure out by doing that thing why I'm not supposed to do that thing. And so I say, amen, yes, thank you, right? And so I spent a good portion, almost all of my teenage years, and then until I bowed a knee to Jesus when I was 23, just living like Jess talked about two weeks ago, living like that younger brother, prodigal, going out, spending all my inheritance, all the blessings God had given me, I was spending on immorality. And, and eventually, you know what the Bible says, sin's fun for a season? That's why it's so deceptive. Because for a while, you can not only live off of it, but for a while, it actually seems like it's healthy and working. That's the deception. And that's where the enemy is so willing to let it be fun for a while. But eventually, it sabotages and turns on itself, does it not? We've all tasted the effects of sin when we don't deal with it. Eventually, eventually it, what was that? This is like back, this is what I grew up with. Thank you. Thank you. This is an answer to prayer, shouting me down. I grew up in this. This was what, this makes me feel good. So anyways, I, I kept hearing these messages about holiness. And in, in, in one theological, biblical level, it was completely right. But the theme of it was God's against this and God doesn't want you to do this and God's trying to kill you here and God wants you to deny yourself and pick up your cross and all of that is true. Those were statements of Jesus, but they never wrapped the why around it. And as a young, formidable kid who was completely ignorant and intimidated by the word of God, I walked out of church more often than not just feeling like, man, God must hate me. And you can only live in a mindset for so long that your creator hates you where you finally just got to leave, right? Eventually, it's like, God, I want to believe in you and I want to love you and I don't want to leave what I think my parents have raised me in and I think it's right. But God, you, I can't handle always feeling like I'm failing you. And so I got to go. Can I have my inheritance? And I went and I started to party. And I started to do all the things. And we don't need to name them. We know what it's like. And I started doing all that. And then it wasn't until I was 23 that, like the prodigal son, I came to my senses. Because I was living with pigs. And I was starting to taste the death in my sin. And I was starting to be overwhelmed with depression and fear and anxiety. And I had no business as a 23-year-old -year kid with an amazing family, an amazing group of friends, and everything that I had ever needed in life. I had no business being depressed. And so I stopped and I said, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And then I gave my life to Jesus. And I went to this internship and this discipleship program. And it was super intense. And I, 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 for about a year, no matter what they were teaching, I was just on fire. And I was just zealous. I was just coasting off the infilling of the Holy Spirit as I got saved and gave my life to Christ. And, and, and so I, I didn't even recognize it. But then about the second year into this program, I started to taste again this, this, this misappropriation of the message of holiness and behavior modification. And there was no foundation of justification and being saved by grace and grace alone. I didn't hear any of that. 
that kind of language. And so I started finding the joy being robbed from me. And I started to feel the, the life being sucked out of me again. And I started because of how I grew up in my denomination. I just thought I was, we would call it backsliding. And we had the type of church where pretty much the, if the pastor preached good, more people who got saved the week before came down and got saved again. Like you never felt secure about your salvation. And that's, again, a horrible thing to feel, right? That you're not secure in the one thing that matters most in life. I mean, that, that's what it was about. And, and I started, and then I went to Barnes & Noble one day. I was like 24 years old. I was into my second year of this discipleship program, and I just randomly picked a book that looked interesting. And on the back, it was this older dude on the, on the picture, and it said that he's a pastor, and it said he spent several years of his, uh, his pastorate as an alcoholic, but still pastoring. And I was like, I'm reading about that guy. That's incredible. What's going on there, you know? And it was called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And um, I started to read it. And it felt like I was feeling when I would read the Bible. Literally, it felt like water to a dry and weary soul. And everything I was reading was like stuff I'd never heard before. And now all of a sudden, I was testing his book with the word of God. I was going back to go, this is awesome, but surely it's heresy. Surely justification by grace and grace alone can't be in there. Sure, I mean, he was talking in this book as if grace solves every problem in the world. And he was talking in this book as if God just loves you because you're you, period. No, no qualifiers. No yeah buts. And I, I remember reading this message of grace. And, and so what happened was the pendulum of my heart swung in a completely opposite theological way. And all of a sudden now, I was just grace, 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 grace. Everything's grace. Everything's founded upon grace. Grace solves all problems. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. And any message of holiness, anything that even sniffed of behavior modification, anything that started getting specific about morality, your practical day-to-day morality, I would just shut down. Anytime a preacher got up, anytime anybody in a small group, anytime one of my friends started to talk about issues of holiness or morality or piety, I just instantly went, nope, read the ragamuffin gospel. Grace, 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 grace. And my heart was pure and my heart was good. And me and God reignited this zeal and this passion. And so I was like, to me, that's the ultimate test. If something is drawing me to passionate relationship with God, it's got to be good doctrine. And listen to me, if you're going to go out and buy that book, if you've never read it, it's good doctrine. Read it. It's water to a weary soul. We can't hear the message of grace enough. And I'm like him. I believe that grace solves all problems. But what I want to do tonight in week four of this series is I want to remind us that grace wouldn't even exist as an idea and as a concept and as a thought if there wasn't an apple in the garden that God said didn't eat, don't eat, and then they ate it. You understand? Grace wouldn't even be a word in our English language if sin wasn't a word in our English language, which means there's something behind grace that's even greater, which means there's something behind what grace does, which is the ultimate location of where we want our hearts to be. Grace is what I'm trying to tell you guys is a means to a much greater and much more beautiful end. And that end is this word in the Bible called holiness. See, what was robbed from Adam and Eve when they took the bite out of that apple and they usurped God's authority and his will, and they did what we now call sinned, the thing they instantly felt was unholy. The worst feeling in the world you can feel is to be in a relationship with your creator who is perfectly holy and knowing on all kinds of practical levels you are not holy. And what we do naturally from Adam and Eve to us now, thousands and thousands of years later, is we still hide when we feel unholy. And so God comes down 
and he shows them this thing called grace by killing something that was innocent so he could make some clothes that would cover up some points of shame for them. That was the beginning of the gospel in the Garden of Eden. He takes animals that Adam and Eve had gotten accustomed to. In fact, Adam named the thing that would be slaughtered innocently so that he could be clothed again. Imagine that. That's like one of your pets taking their life for you, that you named and that you loved and that you do all the, you know, you went and got them from the thing and rescued them from the thing. And Adam had to sit under the weight of that animal had to be killed by God himself and lose air innocently so that I could feel holy again to some degree. Grace that doesn't lead you to holiness is no grace at all. Grace that doesn't take us back to a place of, God, you are holy. And God, I know it's a lifelong process, but God, make me holy. God, I want to be holy, and I want to be holy for all the right reasons. And I want to be holy for no other reason than, God, you are holy, and you created me with the chief purpose of bearing your holy image to creation and that's broken and it's flawed because of sin. And so God, I know it'll never happen perfectly in this lifetime, but God, would you practically continue to purge me and sanctify me? And God, would you in your grace make me holy? And what's beautiful about grace is grace is the one and only thing that opens up the door back into a relationship with God so that we can be holy because he is holy. That's the beauty of grace. And so I had, this, I had this theological crisis going on a couple years ago because I was just grace, 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 grace. And then for the first time in almost 20 years since I had given my life to Christ, I started to see there's some problematic things in the church world right now happening with grace. And I'm a part of it and I'm privy to it. And I'm not malicious, and I don't think anyone in the church is malicious, but here's the deal. We have had such deep, awesome, amazing revival-like teachings on grace in the American church for the last 15 years. And we've needed it unapologetically. Justification by grace alone. It is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God, and it is the only thing that saves you. And listen to me, young adults, that is the message. But it's for so many people in so many places, in so many arenas, it's just stopped at that. And listen, that message of grace is the entry point to redemption and hope. But it is not the finishing point. It is not the ultimate goal. Again, grace is the single most beautiful and amazing word that we have in our English language. There's no word when you look at the implications. There's no word that even comes close to being as beautiful and as amazing as the word grace in our English language. But the only reason it ever even existed was because of sin. And the sole purpose of God's amazing grace shown to us in Jesus Christ was to tear the veil to get us back to where? The holy of holies. That's what grace did. The minute Jesus breathed his last on the cross, there was this curtain in the temple and, and, and it, it, was, it was keeping back everyone in Israel except the high priest once a year from being in the most tangible, most amazing presence of God. It was that isolated to one room and it was that powerful. And when Christ died, literally the curtain that kept people from dying in the physical presence of God, it was torn in two. And you know what that's teaching us? It's teaching us that when Jesus presented grace in its finished and final full work, 
The ultimate purpose was to tear the veil so that we could approach again a holy God. And instead of being scared of him and fearful of him, we could approach his throne of grace to receive mercy now in our time of need, right? And I started to see that grace is like a dance. And I don't know hardly anything. I have a hunch I'm going to know a lot in a couple years because my daughter's obsessed with dancing right now. She's in a hip-hop class, her and her friend. And so I, I pick her up every Wednesday and I get there early. And I hide because if she sees me, she'll stop dancing completely. And I just watch her. And I'm just amazed because I don't have those skills. And she's really good. And I'm learning something about dance, though. And some of you, you know this, but the, the 101 when it comes to, to dancing is is this when a man and a woman dance together like you watch dancing with the stars scars dancing with the scars (laughs) freudian there (laughs) but when you watch that here's what the first rule they learn is before they start any of their practices is simply this you as the man even if you're not as good at dancing you as the man you're going to lead the dance you're going to lead it okay and this is representative of God's holiness. It leads the dance of our lives. It's just like truth. It's grace and truth together, right? Grace and holiness. It leads. And then you know what the woman's job is? To follow, of course, but you know what? To make the dance beautiful. And that's grace. God's holiness is like old spice. (laughs) It's old school. It's been around from the beginning of time. It is who God is. It is his, listen to me, It is his chief characteristic. You understand that? We're going to read in a minute in Isaiah. The people that are physically closest to God right now are angels called seraphim. And all they do is circle around the throne. And they don't sing grace, grace, grace. They don't look at God in the closest possible proximity of all of creation, these angels. Do you know what they scream the whole time out of the depths of their heart organically? is just holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When you look at God in his closest view, you can't help but of all the things you could say about him, scream and sing like they scream, holy. It is his chief characteristic. It is what we were put on this earth to be is holy. And that got breached by sin. And so God brings in this dance partner called grace and says, listen, sin has made holiness extremely problematic and holiness has to get back to leading. But listen to me, as holiness leads my people back, grace, you make this dance beautiful. And that's the beautiful dance that I want to continue to show you in scripture. If you have your Bibles, I'll just read through. I was studying couple years ago when I was starting to have this theological midlife crisis, I was starting to study uh, different things about holiness. Have you guys ever heard of reticular activating system? Let me say it again, reticular activating system. Where are you at, School of Minds? Come on, say yes, we have. Come on, come on, thank you. Reticular activating system. Now let me put this in most of our terms, okay? I bought a, I bought a dream car for me. I wanted it since I got married 12 some years ago. And we've just been poor most of those 12 years. And I finally, a couple years ago, was able to get it. I just said, Rachel, I just want to have it one time, and then I'll go back to driving hoopties. But just let me have this once. <laughs> so a couple years ago, I bought my first and only new car I've ever had off the lot. It was a, a Toyota FJ Cruiser. I'm just a huge FJ Cruiser fan. You don't have to love them, but they're awesome. And <laughs> I, I got it. And the minute, you guys know this, the minute I got that FJ Cruiser, in my brain started the reticular activating system, which is now I see every FJ Cruiser on the road right? Because I'm a part of that club and I'm, I'm interested and I've got one 
And, I, and so everywhere they are, I not only see them, but I start to look at the intricacies. I look at the color. I look if they put a lift on it. I look at all the different things about that thing, and I just notice them effortlessly. And all of a sudden, a couple years ago, it was like God was saying to me, I'm, I'm, I'm putting holiness onto your reticular activating system of your brain. And every time you read the word now, like you did 15 years ago when you read the ragamuffin gospel, now all I saw in the word of God was grace. I started to see it everywhere. It was bouncing off the pages. And it just made so much sense. And for the last couple of years, God's been adding this just sweet, sweet message to my heart as he's showing me every time I'm in the word of God, his holiness. And not how intimidating it is because I've spent 15 years studying the beauty of his grace. And now I'm getting to study the beauty of his holiness and I'm going, oh my word, these two can't live without each other. Until Jesus comes back and brings all things to redemption in its perfect form, holiness can't be without grace. And grace can never be without holiness. Because someday, grace will no longer be necessary. Do you understand that? And as much as we love grace and talk a mean game in the church world about grace, I can't wait for grace to no longer be necessary because that mean, will mean we were not only right now in Christ, we are positionally holy, but we know that, that practically we're far from holy, right? But someday and for an eternity, we will be image bearers of God's holiness to perfection without any temptation towards sin or any of the problems that come from sin ever again. But in the meantime, holiness cannot dance without grace. It will not be the dance the world needs to see. If we teach holiness in any other way, then it cannot exist without grace because people will hear it through legalistic lenses and be intimidated and be turned off. People will uh, think that the Christian church is just a church that tries to outbehave people and then say, you want to come join us? No. What if we just wanted to be holy for no other motivation than because God is holy? What if you didn't feel pressure anymore to be holy because you need to be a witness to the nation? What if, what, what if you just woke up every day and said, God, like the Apostle Peter said, be holy because you're holy. I just want to be holy because you're holy. I don't want to be holy to impress people. I don't want to be holy to find my place in the church world and solidify that I'm an authentic Christian. It's exhausting. Is it not exhausting doing that? I want to be holy because it works. I want to be holy because I think Adam and Eve would scream to us, it was so much better in the garden before we ate that apple when holiness was still in its perfected fashion and before we got kicked out of the garden and were, were pilgrims and nomads in a fearful place, they, they would look down from heaven tonight and they would say, young adults, listen to me. Please be holy just because God's holy. No other motivation, no other reason. And there is rest. And listen to me, because you can't perfectly, practically be holy every day, all the time with your thoughts, your actions, your deeds, your mindsets, because you can't do that, you get to now, every time you breach holiness, approach the throne of grace with confidence. The throne is called grace, but the refrain above it is called holy. You see the dance? We come to a throne titled grace that our Savior sits on, but the angels above sing holy. And the more you tap into the grace of God, the more you love and take seriously the holiness of God. It is a virtual, a virtual impossibility to continually and consistently just keep running back to the mercy throne and the mercy seat of God and ask boldly like we're told we can do for his grace to want to take advantage of it. 
I know people are always talking about, well, if we just keep preaching grace, people are taking advantage of it. I'll roll the dice on that one because if you really understand what Jesus did for us to approach his throne called grace, then all of a sudden the refrain of your heart over time will eventually and more and more every year be holy, holy, holy. You'll start to sing in authentically with the angels and that's what we want this generation to be. I want you guys to be a generation. This is what God's speaking to my heart. I want you guys to be the generation that puts the dance between grace and holiness together. If you guys can be the generation that says, it's not just grace, 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 it's grace, 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 so that the ultimate refrain of my heart and my life can be holy, holy, holy. If you guys are that generation, this world will be rocked. It will be done. It will be turned upside down. There will be revivals, and I'm not just blowing smoke up here. I promise you, God has so deeply imprinted this on my heart for this season of the church, and it always starts with you guys, your age, not my age. I'm done. I'm a has-been. I'm past. It's your guys. That's going to take the local church all over the world to its next place. And I'm telling you, this is the place. We want people to simply be holy and not be afraid of holy and not use grace to keep God just at an arm's length and still feel like we're okay with God. How dumb. Okay, you remember when Jess was talking about the prodigal son a couple weeks ago? How dumb would it be for him to come home get a robe, get a ring, get sandals, have an awesome party with steak and Merlot and dancing and all of that stuff, and then wake up the next day and go, Dad, I'm going to go sleep with the pigs now that I'm back home, and I'm going to continue in my riotous living. And if we're not careful, this is the message that grace, not dancing with holiness, will send, which is, hey, grace will bring you back to the house. Now go back and play with the pigs and live riotously. And God's going, no, 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 I didn't bring you home to destroy yourself in my backyard and think that it's good because at least you're at the Father's house now. He's not bringing the church back through grace. He's not throwing a party to bring people home, to let them turn around and continue to destroy themselves. We can't be afraid to teach anymore about morality. We can't be afraid to talk more about the holiness of God. That, that, th those days are done now. We can't do that anymore. You hit, you hit a point in, in, in the life of the local church and whatever God's speaking where all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's time, it's time to build. It's time to move on. It's time to put, a, put the next layer. And the next layer is this. You are justified by grace. Rest in that. Now pursue holiness and love it and don't be afraid of it. And when you screw up, run to the throne of grace. Let's read it. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Please listen to this. Please don't let this be a verse you've heard your whole life. Think about the implications of what's being said here. Young adults, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin Based on that, here's what the writer says next. Let us then approach God's throne, titled what? Grace, unmerited, undeserved favor, which means you can approach it anytime you want, 24-7, all the time. Anytime you want, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Did you hear that? With, if it was anything other than grace, you couldn't have confidence. If you had to approach God's throne of grace with holiness, we're all toast. I'm going to show you a guy who approaches God's throne and he's unholy and it doesn't go well until he gets shown grace by an angel. 
right? I'm about to show you that next. Grace and holiness have to dance together for it to work. But you got to know that you have the right to be confident when you come to God for grace and mercy, even in your weakest moment of holiness or lack thereof. But your instincts will be hide, run away. Find something in this life to cover your own holiness like Adam and Eve did. And God will say, no, 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 there's only one covering and it's the shed blood, the skin, the bones, the broken body of my son, Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that will cover and suffice. That's it. Approach his throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's go to Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. Here it is again, seated on what? A throne. This is the most intimate place with God. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Awesome. Above him, this gets weird again for a minute. It gets, like I said, at Jesus culture, it gets bouldery for a minute, but stick with it. It's beautiful when you understand it. Above him were seraphim. These are the angels I talked to you about. Each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. God didn't give them a song. He didn't say, write a song and sing it to me. This is just them organically, the only thing that can come out of their mouth when you're that close to God is he's holy. This is his chief characteristic. Now, enter a human, broken and flawed like us. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And now here's the human, Isaiah. Remember, he had a vision in the year that King Uzziah died. He's in the presence of God, the tangible, physical presence of God. And the only thing he can say is woe to me. And keep in mind, this isn't like this isn't like the chief of sinners here. This is arguably the single greatest, most important prophet that we had before Christ. This is Isaiah. Nobody got used more pre-Christ with his mouth to preach and to teach and to prophesy than this guy. And his only thing he can do in the presence of a holy God is say, woe to me. I am ruined for I am a man of what? unclean lips and we look at him and go no dude you got like the coolest most amazing most used and blessed lips on the planet earth you're the prophet of prophets if you got unclean lips what do i got isaiah right that's what we should all be saying in here if the great prophet of god has mouth problem think of the woe that we deserve in the presence of god right says, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And he says, and now the, I've seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Then the seraphim flew. Listen to how gracious God is. Because remember, angels are ministering spirits sent to serve us. Look at what they do. They stop their song for a minute, the holiness song, because their job is to help bring us on God's command back into a place of authentic holiness. So they stop the song and one of them flies down with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, Isaiah said. And he says, see, this has touched your lips and then listen to the gospel. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I don't have time to read the rest of the story. I think you guys talked about it on the young adult retreat. But you know what Isaiah's new refrain is here I am send me grace changed everything from holy God being an indictment to our sinful selves to now in the presence of a holy God Isaiah boldly going God I have been at your throne 
and it is holy, but it is a throne of mercy and it is a throne of grace. And you went out of your way to send one of your seraphim who could still be singing a worship song to you, but instead you sent that seraphim to me with coal to cleanse my lips and to remove the guilt from me. And ultimately, eventually God's going, yeah, eventually it's not gonna be coal and it's not gonna be an angel. It's gonna be my son and it's gonna be his blood. And we're not gonna have to dance this dance anymore. It's gonna be finished forever. And this is the great dance. And band, you guys can come up. I'm preaching a long time. I'm sorry, but I'm so, this is in my heart so deeply. I'm looking for places to talk about this. Anywhere I get a chance. And so now under the new covenant, there's not that I found yet. I'll get back to you because I'm still a pilgrim searching this out. But I haven't found a more important and profound statement when you tie in the dance between grace and holiness than this. This is the New Testament approach to the dance of grace and holiness. It's Romans 12.1. You've all heard it before, but maybe we'll hear it in a little different light tonight. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, Red Rocks, young adults, come on, I'm urging you tonight. Can you see there's urgency here? Because this stuff is so true. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and now here's, here's the dance. Grace, right? In view of God's mercy, He's about to talk to him about living holy and sacrificially, but he's saying, listen, you won't dance that dance beautifully the way the world deserves to see it if you don't constantly keep grace in full view. In view of God's mercy, do what? This is the most important word in this whole statement, theologically. Offer. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What's the next word? Holy. Pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship. This is the new covenant approach to holiness. This is it. In view of God's mercy, it's not a I command you, it's not a I demand it, it's not a read the law. The law was settled on the cross. You understand that? Every righteous obligation for you to be in relationship with a holy God was fulfilled on the cross. This is grace. And it says, in view of grace now, instead of lawfully and legally having to approach holiness, like most of us probably grew up hearing in church, now you get to offer it. And God says, I want you guys to be the generation that is the I get to generation, not the I have to generation. That's what this verse is saying. This is what the new covenant is saying. Not that I have to be holy because God is holy. That's not what Peter was writing. I always read that as an indictment to us and how bad we suck. Be holy because God is holy. I felt like Pastor uh, uh, Peter was going like, you guys suck, so I'm going to yell at you for a minute. Because that's what I heard my whole life. And now that I'm, I'm knowing God more at this phase of my life, I hear, I hear the tone of, of Peter as a pastor going, no, 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 be holy. Because there's nothing better in life. Nothing will do you right more in life than, than to just be holy because the creator who loves you enough to send his son, that's what he is. Why wouldn't you want to be what he is? And guess what? Grace powers you to do that because now we don't get holy by just trying harder. How's that working out for you? We don't get holy now by just white knuckle discipline. Listen, there's moments where you rise up and you kill your flesh, yes. But ultimately what I've learned is the only time I've seen God sanctify me more and more from glory to glory is just waking up another day and sitting at the mercy of God and saying, could I have some more grace, please, Lord? And the more I do that, the more precious living holy looks to me. The more I get in his grace and I realize what he did to purchase it for me, the less I want to tamper with God's holiness. 
the less I want to tamper with immorality. Except now it's not to impress people because that's, again, exhausting. It's not anymore to show off. It's not anymore because I think I need to be a good witness to the world of what real behavior looks like. Now it's just, God, I want to be holy because I believe it's the best, most blessed place to be in life. So God, listen to me. I am really naturally bad at being holy. Almost 42 year old now, and I can tell you, I'm really naturally bad at being holy. I just am. Every day I wake up, there's a war for my soul when it comes to morality and holiness. And I just get on my knees and I say, God, thank you that in the midst of this war, I can get out of it for a second and just say, I am perfect in your eyes right now. And I am your son and I am redeemed and I am clean. And so God, I'm gonna go back into battle today and I'm gonna go down into that valley and I'm gonna start swinging some swords and I'm gonna start battling the enemies of my soul. And God, would you just give me grace? If I know that I'm redeemed and if, you, if I know that you may be perfect through Jesus, I can go fight that fight for all the right reasons. And I can do it with an offering. I can offer my body in that fight of holiness. I can go down and I can do it as an offering. I get to, God. I don't have to anymore. You get to. And if you guys can be the generation that sees holiness through those lenses, look out. You're going to have a witness to the world without even realizing it. Because they're going to go, what are you, who are you? What's so different about you? You're going, I don't know. Because all you're thinking is that you weren't thinking I want to be holy so you think I'm awesome. I want to be holy because that's what my God made me to be. And grace has given me an avenue back towards it. But listen to me, it's hard, is it not? Life's freaking hard. It's difficult. We have flesh that's zombie mode. It's still, it's dead, but it's still trying to act alive. I hate it. But we get to rest. When we wake up and go, all right, I'm, I'm going to go swing the sword in a minute. But first, I'm going to sit at the mercy of Jesus. And I'm going to thank him like we're about to do. We're about to take communion. And listen to me, there's nothing better you can do in a pursuit of holiness. Not try harder. Sit at the feet of Jesus and thank him that if you were to die tonight and you've given your life to him, you're perfect in his eyes. You're as holy as holy can be. You are reinstated. You are bought back. You have been ransomed. If you've given your life to Jesus, we're going to take communion at any point during Nicole and the band singing. When you feel ready and appropriate, we don't do this lightly. You can walk down in reverence and you can take some bread again. What is it called that we're, some people can't eat because they'll go to the hospital? Gluten free right there. <laughs> Gluten free. Grape juice and real bread. goal here is accountability to your, your forgetful heart. There's nothing special about this food. There's nothing special about me. I can't put a priestly blessing on it. Respect all my Catholic brothers and sisters in the room. We just see it a little different. The, the beauty in this is the remembrance for forgetful people. And I want every single person in this room right now who says, Chad, I hear what you're saying tonight, and I want that. I want holiness, but I'm fatigued from trying to do it to feel right about myself. I'm fatigued from trying to do it to show off. I'm fatigued from trying to do it so my life group thinks I add up. It's exhausting, and I'm tired, and Jesus says, I know you are, so come to me. 
Don't come to rules. Don't come to rituals. Come to me. And I will give you rest for your souls. And what if we just sat here and what if we just became a people? I've been doing this for almost two years now and just said, God, make me holy. I really am bad at it. Would you make me holy? I want to be holy because you're holy. And can I tell you something? I got a long ways to go, but it's not a race anymore because I'm positionally perfect. And so now I get to dance that dance of grace and holiness. And can I tell you, I've just been asking him every day and it's starting to work. I've seen God going, why wouldn't I want to answer that? Of course I do. And I've started seeing some of my desires become more godly for all the right reasons. And it's beautiful because it takes no energy. And if you could be the generation that grabs that before you're 40, you get it now. My goodness what you guys could do for the kingdom. And I believe you're that generation. I believe it with all my heart. Believe it with all my heart. That's why I asked permission for Jess to let me speak this week. I called her up, literally. And I said, can I please speak this week? I can't get it off my heart. She's like, absolutely. So thank you, Jess, for giving me permission to speak. I appreciate it. We're going to worship, and normally I, I, the, the older adults at our church on Sundays, you always, when I speak too long, you hear me apologize, and, and, and I'm not apologizing to you guys because you have endless energy, and I hate it. When I was your guys' and we would have youth and college services that Sean and I ran, dude, they were festivals. They went forever, and it was just because we were a bunch of zealous people who just genuinely loved Jesus. And what we didn't realize until now is that it was in these moments where we weren't in a hurry. There's... You could get frozen yogurt later or go bowling, whatever you're going to do, I promise you. But listen to me. When you're in the presence of God and we're worshiping together in song and you just wait upon the Lord, he does things that frozen yogurt can't do. He does things that, listen, community matters. Community matters. But, but not at the expense of special moments. And the Holy Spirit is here in a special way. Please wait upon the Lord in these next few minutes and he will renew your strength. What did Isaiah say? You'll mount up with wings as eagles, walk and not grow weary run and not be faint. Don't you want that tomorrow? Don't you want that? So let's, 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 let's linger. Let's take these songs serious. Let's take communion beautifully and let's sit at the feet of Jesus and may the refrain of our heart tonight just simply be, God, you are holy and I honor you for that. And now I'm asking as a broken vessel that you would make me holy yet again. Can we do that? Let's stand. I'm going to pray and we're going to start to worship. Heavenly Father, be here powerfully for your glory for your honor for your name for your renown holy spirit i ask in these next few minutes that you would do something that people walk out of here and say that's got to be the holy spirit there's no other explanation god there's so many stories and there's so many strongholds against people in this room and i pray that through the power of your spirit you would destroy strongholds tonight in the name of jesus We can't conjure that up, God. We can't make that happen. Would you please do that for people tonight, God? I'm pleading with you tonight, God. Please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help people. God, we want to be holy. Would you please let us walk out of here with a completely new degree and a heightened sense of what it looks like and what it means to truly want to be holy. God, help us. Please, God, as your kids, help us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Now, I pray, Jesus, you're so honored as we commune around your table and remember what you did for us. Amen. Let's worship.